Hi, BBs. Welcome to another episode of the Burn Black podcast. I am not feeling this fucking Pisces moon. It was making me emotional. It was making my feelings all out of whack. I was feeling insanely isolated and lonely and kind of defeated. And when I tend to feel that way, I so earnestly need to connect with people in order to feel nurtured and whole. I am a person that has to talk through my feelings and then I'm fine. And when I'm not able to really do that and connect with people, God, it can make me at times feel like suicidal and and just like end all, be all, oblivion. This is something I struggle with and process on a daily basis and it's hard and I find as I get older I seem to connect more with the people I grew up with because we shared this similar experience of grief that we don't want to talk about it's so funny there's like a million sex podcasts out there but no one really wants to talk about death in a real way death is Scorpio. It's just as important, you know? (sighs) I originally wanted to do a podcast on grief, but I thought by doing that, I would just be living in it. But I guess I'm starting this episode by talking a little bit about grief and how it affects me. Um, During the summer of 2006, I was going through this life change where I was ready for more in my life and I um I lived in a really small town and I always thought I was going to get out and not be stuck there but I never really saw outside the box of two hours away from where I lived and for me the end all be all was New York City because I'm an east coast person you know And so that just was the answer for me. Like one day I was going to afford to move to New York and just do what I wanted to do. I didn't know what that was yet, but I knew I was ready for it. And I was living with my friend Jeff and Jeff, who was a dear, dear friend, uh, lent me his video camera and I started videotaping everything and recording my friends. I had a lot of issues at this time regarding my sexuality. I still do. I'm still figuring that out. And But this was the first time I really started to realize like these issues. And I wanted to explore them. And I was thinking about doing like a documentary. And I started interviewing my friends about sexuality. And I went out to California, actually, to visit my friend Melissa. Which was like a huge deal for me because I'm scared of flying. Like tremendously and I get on a plane and I go to visit her (laughs) and my friend Melissa at the age of 18 dropped out of high school to marry a man twice her age who was the son of Hollywood super agent Cy Marsh who managed Marilyn Monroe and Sammy Davis Jr. all the greats basically 
and he went to Beverly Hills High, and he, he's just like, I don't know, they just enmeshed each, in each other somehow, and she decided to drop out of high school in our East Coast town, and moved to LA to pursue a marriage with him, and out there, she became an erotic artist, she started studying art, and following her passions, and I think she was always a little bit frustrated, and I think that art provided for her that outlet, but on this trip, (coughs) sorry for coughing, um, I remember we were sitting in her friend Jonathan's art studio, and we were drinking these, like, fancy cappuccinos, and he was a sculpture artist, and I, and she was modeling at the time, and I was looking, and she was, like, looking at me, and she was like, why don't you make something in an art studio? <laughs> I was like, I'm not an artist. <laughs> I'm a writer. <laughs> and she was like, everyone is an artist. You are an artist. Make art. <laughs> and she insisted on it, and it was such a fabulous moment because it was like the first time I ever took myself seriously as an artist on that trip. In fact, everything on that trip sort of changed everything for me. She wanted me to move there. I remember getting like an apartment guide, <laughs> like one of those big apartment guides when I was going to move to LA and I was just going to like, Melissa and I were just going to like become artists and like, I don't know. It was just it was the plan for a while, <laughs> and then I fell in love and moved to Chicago, but you can't see me right now, but I'm smiling thinking about it. She was amused. A lot of people felt that she was amused, and um, she was known for being amused, and She was definitely my muse and has continued to be my muse over the last nine years since she passed away at 23. And I missed her a lot. And when I get sad and I feel alone in particular, it's really easy for me to cycle into this. I miss Melissa. She was the only person that understood me vehicle that I seem to drive. And to a degree, there there is truth in that, but I also know that there are people out there that write me every day that do understand me. And even though they're not presently in my life, you know, that means something. And I have connection, and I need to focus on that. And sometimes that's hard and grief to see. I'm not a neurotypical person. And um, I also have a lot of complex PTSD and uh, sometimes it's hard to see through that, but I'm strong, I'm tough, and I get myself there. And I got myself there today, which I'm proud of. I missed her a lot, and it's funny when this happens. And this is how I know I believe in spirit, because her husband Trace called me today completely out of the blue, and we had a really nice conversation. And I also went and I did Rhea's chart, who I interviewed today. 
Rhea is a queer artist living in New York City, originally from the Bay Area. And they do erotic art as well. So it was not so much of a surprise when Rhea told me their birthday. And it was the same fucking day as Melissa's. Their spirit is infectious. It is giggly and serious and also silly all at the same time. And these were all things that I intuitively felt with Melissa. When Melissa passed away at her funeral, they had these purple and pink balloons, which were her favorite colors. And the church was nowhere near a main road. It was nowhere near a train. It was in the middle of nowhere. And one by one, the balloons started popping. And the entire church shook. And you can ask any person that was at that funeral, and they will tell you the same story. The building shook, and no one could explain it. There were a lot of weird things that happened. But I guess that's the most telling part. She was there. And when her best friend Casey got married, randomly a cat showed up to the wedding. She always said that she would come back as a cat. My friend Justin and I, we think that she's the wind. And my friend Kevin says she's in another dimension because we have to believe that she's somewhere else and not of this earth anymore. I told Trace that today. If she saw the news, she'd be fucking pissed. She hated George W. Bush. She used to steal signs from people's yards when he was running for office. She hated anything conservative. She liked to take off her clothes. She did not like to be told to shut up. And she was proud of her femininity. And she was proud of her masculinity too, and her voice, and her sexuality. I see all of those things in my friend Rhea, who I interviewed today. I'm really proud of this interview. I think it's a good flow of who I am. It's a good flow of who Rhea is. And it's a good introductory interview if you're interested in erotic art, if you're interested in Rhea's work, listen to this interview. I think you'll enjoy it. We talk about drag con. We talk about how I was 12 and had to dance to RuPaul (laughs) and the Tyra Stump. And we talk about erotic art. And it's great. And this interview was really healing for me to to do today. And to be reminded that I can still connect with people even though I am grieving today and sad. After I hung up the phone with Rhea today, her ex-husband called me, and I thought that kismet. (laughs) I don't know. 
I want to thank everyone who like reached out to me this week. It was a tough week. I appreciate all the messages that I got. Connecting with people means a lot to me. I've been feeling alone and sad, but I'm hoping that next week will be better and I'll be out of out of it. And just as I and just as I'm recording this, I just got a message on Instagram from somebody again telling me how they appreciate my honesty and bravery. Trying to stay humble here, guys. <laughs> I love Rhea so much. I think you're going to love Rhea too. This is a really special episode. Um, thank you again to all of my Patreons and everyone who follows me. I'd like to dedicate this episode to the people that Melissa loved the most. I wanted to open it with her words that I found on a video that I took that summer where she's talking about erotic art. So you can hear her voice. I'm sorry about the audio being so low. It is what it is. I'm working on a budge. Someone's sponsoring me. Um, but yeah, this episode is for Faria. This episode is for Melissa. It's for everyone that Melissa affected. But in particular, this is for her cousin Becky, her best friend Casey, her ex-boyfriend Justin, her friend Shannon, her friend Kevin, her friend Allison, her friend Dan, Brian, everyone who loved her. We love you, Melissa. It's time for you to talk now. Your own and, and experience life, you know. I mean, I went from living with my parents and being in high school to living with a forty-two-year-old man and having an exclusive relationship where I didn't go out and I didn't explore and I haven't explored my sexuality very much and. That's probably part of why I'm so into a lot of art because it's like I'm getting my frustrations out. Yeah. I lifted it up and he was with me, but I was like, okay, I gotta get it started. And I messed up my ankle because it was so heavy. Because I carry my laundry on my head because it's easier to. I don't know if anyone knows that, but like if you see like places in like Africa, other or countries in the world, women always carry things far with things on their head, and it's actually a lot easier. So I always huh. just carry my laundry on top of my head. So, but like getting it on my head though, <laughs> that's when I messed up my ankle. But besides that, good because I got a shiny Pokemon. That I was hoping Ooh, for. Ooh, a which... shiny Pokemon. <laughs> yeah, this is. The, oh yeah, I, if you can't tell, I'm going to Comic Con, <laughs> New York Comic Con next month. <laughs> I definitely I love, love my Pokemon. But eh, the weather here is hot. You know, global Ugh. warming, September. 
the news life Saudi Arabia good lord bombings not good but uh how are you tell me what is up ask away I'm okay I'm just uh living and processing as it always mm. is I want to hear about DragCon tell me more about Oh my goodness. DragCon was amazing. It's I love it because it's still very at least in New York. I've never been to the LA one. The LA one's apparently I mean that was the first one, so it's way bigger. But um it's so much fun. Uh, we went on the last day, which is great too, because if anyone knows if you go to a con on the last day, that's when all the vendors start cutting all their prices because they don't want to carry it all the way back to like if they're traveling out of state or whatever. Yeah. So like everyone's like, oh okay, so we get like good deals. But I met so many wonderful queens. Everyone was so wonderful. Willem was amazing as always. Love Race Chasers Pod, one of my favorite podcasts. It's like current Alaska Thunderfuck going through the season one to the beginning and like them <laughs> talking about each episode. And um, I met, well, who else? Oh, I met Tammy Brown, who was hilarious and weird. She's in like season two, I believe, or one. And who else did we meet? Oh, Monet Exchange, who's the Bronx queen. She's the all-star winner this year with Trinity Tuck. So, Trinity's I talk. So, good stuff, and everyone was beautiful, and goodness gracious, you do not know how much it does not matter what you wear until you go to DragCon, because it, it's not like Comic-Con. <laughs> it's the queens are the ones that look the most beautiful. Anything that anybody else wears is just not up to stuff. <laughs> Your outfit looked so gorgeous, though. You looked like a queen yourself. Oh, thank you. I felt like I wanted to wear something slightly cute, you know, to try to or look cute pretty with the queens when I got my photo taken Aww. so that was fun because when I'm at comic-con whenever I meet like whenever I get my celebrity photo like I met uh David Tennant I'm always in like a costume and they're so ridiculous because I'm like I'm a magician ah uh, I'm this Justice League character I'm wearing weird hair <laughs> and the nephew is painted green so you know so it was nice to look normal in a photo with a celebrity for once that's awesome <laughs> Your pictures but, were really beautiful. Oh, thank you. It's because the queens, they're everybody, I mean, unlike any other place, there's perfect lighting everywhere. And if you've ever seen, like, a, there's a thing called, like, a, I forgot what it's called, but it's a light you can put on your phone. It's a ring light, so you always have, like, perfect lighting. Oh, like lighting. the Lumi? Yeah. And so, like, all the queens have that. Every, if you ever with a drag queen, always use the flash because they will get mad because I'm telling you right now, drag is not made for day wear. It is. <laughs> you need to make sure they look good. And they're like, filter, filter, filter. I'm like, all right, girl, all right, <laughs> whatever. Just watching you and just appreciate who you are. It's all, it's your world. I'm just revolving in it. Was RuPaul there? Yes, I saw her DJ. But of course, oh my goodness, I would love to meet her. But that, <laughs> that line's probably, that line's crazy. The last time I went, it was like a three-hour line. And it's like the VIP gets to get in an hour early. And that means they can wait in the lines earlier. <laughs> That's, I'm, I'm just going to wait till she's on like a book tour again or try to try to meet her. Totally. Um, oh my god. When I was younger, I was like nine or ten. I had the worst self-esteem problems. And my stepmother, who was a covert narcissist, <laughs> uh, oh, thought the best solution for this was for me to take modeling classes. What? And, <laughs> yeah, oh my god. To learn how to walk and carry myself. And um, Oh, maybe it was like the idea, like, oh, if you have these skills, maybe you'll feel more confident. Like, oh, if you have like a you can tell you have manners you'll feel more confident in a setting that you're uncomfortable in you have totally those. but i just remember 
I did walk in a fashion show at the University ah! of Delaware. Oh my and, god. <laughs> oh my god. And, and they taught me how to do the Tyra walk because that was what was very cool. So I, to this day, I have like a powerful Tyra stomp. Tyra oh my god. Stomp. Yes. <laughs> yes. You can't hear it, but I'm snapping my fingers. Yes. I'm about to <laughs> clacking my stripper heels. Yes. And, and, and the smize. <laughs> Oh yeah, smizing. Oh god, Rajo is hilarious. If you ever watched season three of uh, RuPaul's Drag Race, smizing, Raja like impersonates Tyra Banks, and it's hilarious. Oh, oh my, my god. god! But they made us walk to Supermodel by RuPaul. <gasps> That's perfection. If I, I mean, like honestly, I feel like every supermodel in the world's dream is at one point that they have a. Because it's so cliche, but like if mm-hmm. I was a supermodel, I would be like one day. One day I'm gonna walk down the runway to that song, and I will feel complete. <laughs> it's it's an empowering song. I always think about the fact that like my chart is so similar to my hero Courtney Love's, and I remember that like I was reading she was spectrumated at the age of ten, um, and di- they diagnosed her with autism, and she didn't have particularly great social skills having grown up in you know. Oregon with a bunch of hippies. Yeah, and hippies don't always, they're very, you know, very loosey-goosey, not always uh, touching reality. Not in a bad way, just, you know. Yeah, people. but she always <laughs> says that she learned how to socialize from drag queens. And I feel like I share that in some way because I learned how to love myself through taking this really ridiculous, stupid <laughs> modeling class and having to walk in a fashion show at 10 years old to RuPaul's Supermodel. That's that's beautiful and that's awesome. I'm, I'm glad you were able to, like, something, experience that you were forced into, you can now look back at and see the positive. I think that's always one of the hardest things to do. As an adult, when we get older, we can see it, but sometimes that's really hard and that's that's awesome that now you're like, you know what? Now, but me go on my journey and she just being friends with a bunch of drag queens. So thanks that yeah. mom that didn't want that to happen. So ha. I guess this explains why my personality can be so over the top and then also so introverted and shy at the same time because I'm just like literally mimicking RuPaul and everything that I do. <laughs> hey, that's not a bad role model to live by. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> totally. And like RuPaul is awesome. They're best friends with Rollins. Mm-hmm. Not a bad, not a bad best friend to have. Exactly, right? Yeah. Perfection. I love it. Um, Rollins, who I'm actually also astrologically similar to because our birthdays are a day apart. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Also a self-publisher like me. Fantastic. See, so many things we don't even realize sometimes that we have in common with. Like why totally. we feel like attracted or drawn to certain people. And we then you realize and you're like, oh well duh, now that makes sense. <laughs> Who for you was like the one person you identified with immediately when you were young? Oh, when I was young? Hmm. Yeah. Oh wow. I don't I don't really think like there was anyone I was really it's so hard to think about because I mean I loved baby spice. That sounds weird, Aww. but like I felt like the baby because I was always being no. like sheltered, I guess, and like I don't know. I I was like the youngest. I was the only child, so I know think that's what she was. I mean I don't know what her personal life is. This is me re- reflecting on my like my five year old self, and I don't have the best memory. But I just remember really loving baby spice and wanting to look like be like that. And then I know my mom, I always used to wear like costumes and stuff. So I'm guessing I think Belle was my favorite Disney character. 
when Aww. I was little. And I, I guess any of the, I mean, there wasn't necessarily a person. I think I identified a lot with characters and books. So like I loved, I also loved my, um, my God, American Girl dolls. And there was like a book series like Kit and like I would just read a lot. So there wasn't like, it's hard parents listen to old music. I wish I had, I, I love Nirvana, but I didn't really know about Courtney Love. I was obsessed with Kurt Cobain when I was growing up and everything. <laughs> but yeah. um, I wish I, I mean, there was really nobody except I remember in middle school, I wanted to be a playmate. And so I would talk about Jenna Jameson and I thought she was amazing. <laughs> I now it. I don't, now I don't like her because I don't like what she believes about uh, vaccines and she has stated stuff that I don't agree with. But I love the fact that she was an entrepreneur and like she took over like the porn industry and I thought like and built up her empire and I thought that was so cool. And I was like, and she was sexy. Like I even dressed up as her for what was it? Sophomore year of high school. It was Whoa. superhero. It was superhero day. And I told everybody, oh no, I'm the Sandman, like the person that puts you to sleep. But I was wearing a silk robe and high heels. <laughs> Not shoes. untrue. Yeah. And I was, but I was wearing a silk robe and high heels. shoes. I was like, oh, it's putting you to sleep. But I was like, to my friends, like, but I'm actually Jenna Jameson. And then someone's like, oh, the, the principal knows. I'm like, oh my God, oh shit, I don't want to get in trouble. So I personally walked myself up to the principal's office. I was like, okay, I'm sorry. I'm just telling you now, I'm going to change my outfit. Please don't get, I don't want to be in trouble. But that was what I was just kidding about that. Ha ha ha. But I did try. <laughs> I'm not very good at being bad. So I turned myself in and they're like, uh, okay. I had a similar experience. I dressed up as um I dressed up as Janet Jackson circa control one year for Halloween. Oh and nice. I, and then a bunch of people were like, Are you a prostitute? And I was like, Yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? That ain't bad either. But yeah, there's also, like... why are you asking me this in the second grade? <laughs> oh my god, right? I mean, yes. it's so weird to think about that kind of stuff, like comments that people said to you, like when you're younger, or things that yeah. you did. Like I, I, I constantly think about how seven. Like when I was 17, I dated someone who was 22, and I'm like, why? I would never fucking want to date a 17 year old at 22. What the fuck? Yeah. Um, yeah. Or like anybody to me under the age of 18 and it's not because of like even a look thing it's personally hey I pay taxes every year you don't I fucking hate you I don't want to look at you I'm so jealous of that right now how I just can't even uh, I'm like oh, oh my god how how old do I sound oh they don't understand my back hurts and my taxes <laughs> how can I do that but no yeah I guess all the celebrities I guess I really enjoyed were movies and stuff that I saw so there was never anybody I was like I want to be like them necessarily or I was like super obsessive I became obsessed with like stories like my all-time favorite shows the Twilight Zone and my dad really loved Rod Serling so I looked up to Rod Serling a lot oh, I love so, Rod Serling and I, I think, love the Twilight Zone yes it's What's your favorite Twilight Zone episode well there's so many good ones I love the yeah. one when they're in the um it's a uh, what's it called they're in the basement all the books and oh, the bomb goes off and it's like glasses and I'm just like god that is that sucks so much so bad and then I also yeah. I mean and I also love the one with uh William Shatner with the penny the devil penny which I think is like he keeps Ooh, giving you the sex and it's like that I think that's really interesting especially if you look at people who are like you look at horoscopes and things like that and ways of that but there's such a way to manipulate and not realize like anyone could take advantage of anybody and it's like that feeding into that idea but yeah. it's, it's different when someone, I mean, <laughs> they're telling you things that 
here it's a self-fulfilling prophecy i think that's oh also God. interesting yeah. too but i love I, all of his books every single one of his episodes i love because I, it doesn't matter about the background it matters about the storyline and yes. it's just so amazing that it, they stand up forever to me yeah they're kind of timeless my dad used to um my dad was much older so like he got me into um old recorded radio shows that he listened to when he was younger and so i used to listen to this one called the mysterious traveler and mm-hmm. this like predates uh the twilight zone but well yeah that's like the 50s well dino rod certainly originally wanted to be on radio yeah and there was this one that I think about all the time, and it's like this story of this man that hated his mother-in-law, and eventually he murders her, and he puts her in a trunk, and like the trunk keeps coming back, and like it's he thinks it's like the ghost of his mother-in-law, and he keeps getting rid of the trunk, and the trunk just keeps ending up on his doorstep, and at the very end of the episode, the trunk falls down a flight of steps and crushes him to death. And when they open up the trunk to see what's in it, it's just a pile of books. And he was haunted by his own, you know, I guess, guilt. 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 Yes. Oh, yes. It's those kind of things. It's like, it's so, I love, it's like the one Twilight Zone episode where he, the gangster dies and he's like, I can't believe it. So I can get any woman I want. He's like, yeah, it's anything. He's like, okay, so we can rob banks. He's like, yeah. He's like, okay, well, can't you like surprise me whether or not I get caught? He's like, no. He's like, you think you're in heaven? This is hell because everyone has their own personal hell because yeah. of the idea that he couldn't, uh, he loved the idea of getting caught or not caught, the unpredictability. And so he yeah. didn't like the idea of being determined. I'm like, ah, it's so timeless, those stories. But no, I, I mean, radio it. shows, I think my dad watched listens to that too. My dad grew up really poor. So like, I remember him telling me, he's like, yeah, the first time I saw The Wizard of Oz, I didn't get it why everyone was freaking out at one point. I mean, I like it's his all-time favorite movie. It's my all-time favorite movie. But it, uh, he's like, but because <laughs> our screen was, we were so poor, our TV was black and white. So I didn't get it because it didn't go to color for us. Until oh my I God, saw that's it. so funny. <laughs> and he's like, I was like, what? And then it wasn't until I was like, oh, okay. You know. Wow. <laughs> so, because my dad, my dad's dad fought in World War II. How old's your dad? My dad. My dad. My dad was born in 32. He fought in Korea. Okay, so my grandpa, I think, went to Korea. He was going to fight in Vietnam, but my grandma wouldn't let him because she said uh, she had already lived with him going through Okinawa and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it is a good thing he didn't because he was a Marine and all of his friends that were in the same what level he was at, yeah. they all died. Yeah. So, like, because the Marines were like, it was like first wave kind of stuff. Like, yeah. But, you know, it's war is a very terrible hard thing 1932 okay my dad was born 1956 i think okay and, but his sister was born his sister is hmm. she went to woodstock so wow which is so crazy because my best friend james in california his mom went to woodstock so i always like to think that maybe they did acid together and they don't know uh-huh. because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i just i always say that to people i'm like you went to woodstock I'm like maybe you fucked my aunt who knows <laughs> <laughs> crazy stuff man it was 60s <laughs> past life stuff maybe too exactly yeah i see that mm-hmm. um so let's get down to business yes shall we Rhea, yes what what made you get into erotic art and like what age were you when you started developing an interest in art in oh general? wow 
I mean, honestly, I have no idea where negative started <laughs> being erotic because I've always been a really sexual person. I am. Yeah. This is so embarrassing to say, but like I've got. I remember Bye. I basically got caught like masturbating in like first or second grade. Like I didn't realize what that was. Yeah. Like I didn't know what it felt like. I I knew, and I always you just knew know what, it feels good, right? And I didn't get it, and I wasn't like it's not like the way you would masturbate today. It was just like touching myself. I wasn't like insert. It wasn't that kind of thing. But like For I me, didn't it was understand. A changer. Oh yeah, <laughs> exactly. And then, but so I've all and I remember seeing like an art book and seeing like it was like an erotic scene. I think mm-hmm. it was in the Guggen, uh, the Getty. So it was like a painting. So and my parents are always very open about sex. So I've always been interested in sex I've always found sex fascinating ironically I was super prudish <laughs> in the sense because I was very much more of like I'm very paranoid I don't want to get sick I don't want to get a CD and I don't want to just fuck anybody not that it was about the love or religion because I even got a promise ring and stuff like that I went to a Christian school ironically <laughs> but so, we grew up in like a time where the AIDS epidemic was also like a very real thing oh no and- yes my mom's best friend Jeff named me uh, he was diagnosed in 89. Uh, he came to my, our house in 99, and my mom didn't realize it, but his, like, he had, like, cancer was really bad. He came to die. So my mom, it was like, I remember freaking out. I didn't understand then what was going on and why she was freaking out. Yeah. And he almost died at our house. But he's alive now, and he's really healthy. His white goes up. It's perfect. His, like, his T-cells are doing great and everything. But, um, like... That's it, awesome. So, yeah. I, I think so too. I'm like, but and my parents were, I think, very aware of that because they, of Jeff, my mom's friend. But the biggest thing to them, I think, is that they grew up around a lot of kind of shame, and they yeah. weren't like that. So I never was pushed that until I came out. And my mom, I that's a whole different story. But and that was only for a brief time. But the bigger thing was to them, it's not. It's okay if you have sex before marriage. All that matters is that if you love them and they care, like if they if they treat you right, like as long yeah. as it's a mutual treating thing. And like sex is fine. Sex. I mean, I walked in on my parents. Like I've walked in on. I walked in on them multiple times. Like, yeah. So I knew what that was. I always was interested in sex. And then I thought Playboy. I thought the women were so beautiful and amazing. Same. And I wanted to be a playmate. Like that was my goal. I like wanted to do that. But then I always waited waited in with like. I was so bullied and there were so many people I hated. And I'm like, I don't want any of the people I hate to see me naked. I don't care about everybody else. I just don't want them to get that privilege. I'm like, how petty is that? But Oh my God. I like that they had them fill out the questionnaires in their own handwriting. Mm-hmm. And it like made it like made them human and not just like sexual specimens. Oh yeah. I mean Playboy, like if you look at any other like hustler, penthouse, things like that, Playboy is very like it's so funny if people get so offended. I'm like, this is this is based barely, I would even call porn. It's yeah. more because yeah, the only difference is there are crotch shots, and that's the only way why it's not gonna, wouldn't be like in an art necessarily even an art magazine. But even though I think it could be, so you know, so I guess sex and sexual art I've always been interested in, and was until college when I was like in San Francisco and like around so I've always been interested in art but that's always been my life but I didn't take it seriously until college and that's why I decided my degree on and that's when being taking new about queer art history classes and seeing all the art in San Francisco and all the people and being out like experimenting and like finally having a girlfriend and being myself that I just really got into like I guess the queer like the erotic art more and then 
I, uh, my thesis in undergrad was about this artist named Leo Stilwell, and I compared his works and images. He died really young at like 24 or something, or I was like in the 50s, and his whole, uh, like all of his works were donated to the college. And I compared him to physique, physique magazines from the 50s and 60s, like the Bob Miser Foundation, the, their muscle magazines, the preamble to that. And uh, I just thought it was so funny. I thought they were so like innocent and tongue in cheek. Now, physique magazines and gay porn it gets way more explicit as years goes on, and like uh, censoring is allowed, and like male, like you're allowed to send things in the mail. So, but in the very beginning, they had a sense, like they had to be very tongue in cheek, so like they wouldn't get in trouble and get confiscated. And I found them so fascinating because it'd be like a naked man and like a g-string next to like a pillar, like it's posing. It's like. Bill, his name's Bill. His measurements are 36125. He weighs this much. He's on uh, a trip right now to Missouri while he's saving up his money to go back to Mormon school or something like that. It's something so ridiculous. And you're like, yeah. no, you're not. You're in California blowing Bob Miser. You're, you're being crazy. <laughs> like, no, 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 no. That's not what's happening. You're definitely, you look like a bottom. Act like it. No. <laughs> but a lot of his art was on display at the Leather Archives in Chicago. Oh, my God. Of course. I tell yeah. everybody Bob Miser went to jail for dick pics and when people stop him they go oh yeah he did because he fought because he sent magazines with new, some nudity and the and that wasn't allowed to do and he yeah. actually was in jail for I'm like so how I'm like that's such a dedication to dick I'm gonna go to jail so other people can see these dicks like yes I love that so much I want that to be my legacy. I want that to be written on my tombstone. Went to jail for dicks. Right? And like he made so many like films and they're like they're still trying to digitize them. There's like over 12,000 reels. I watched one of them and it's like it's such a fascinating snapshot of a period of time and the queer and especially the gay male scene of just living. Ah, it's amazing. I love it. So yes, that's when I really (laughs) got really fascinated and then my own research and working at the being an intern at the GLPD Historical Society of San Francisco and, and museum and taking queer history class with a professor man at um, San Francisco State who was an amazing professor and really inspired me and just being here and like working with the Leslie Loman Museum being a fellow there and the visual aids which is the aids not uh, the art aids nonprofit it's the nonprofit that created the red ribbon that people see like that yeah. ribbon was created by them in 1988 and they even made it specifically so that no one could um, benefit money like anyone can make it as long as if you sell it everything goes to like an AIDS organization which mm-hmm. I think is so beautiful like the comp- the organization doesn't own it it's for anybody who wants to help stop AIDS yeah. so like and yeah so I guess that's what drew my fascination to that and the erotic art and then seeing how different it was and then what it changes to in the 80s and 90s during after before the epidemic and how we're even understanding sexuality now when we're understanding that gender has no boundaries and sexuality has a complete spectrum of colors it's very fascinating to see and uh, be a part of yeah it must be amazing can you talk a little bit about your job now and like where you work and the type of work that you do sure I work in a place called Peter Bloom Gallery in New York. They first opened up in 1993. They were originally in editions that started in 1980. 
I work with some amazing artists. I'm part of a very small team. I am the gallery and publications associate. I'm coming up on my two years, which is I'm really so happy about because I love the people I work with. I'm a team of like five. It's just like the owner, the director, the assistant director, the registrar, which is the person who uh, does like make sure what the works look like when they come in, putting things away, things like that. And the head preparator, which is the people who install, help pack it. Um, hang things up, put the works together and things like that. And then me. And then there's just a bookkeeper that comes once a week. So it's a very small team and I work very closely with everyone, which I think is, I'm very lucky with. And there's not really any drama, which is also really nice considering it's the art world. But yeah. uh, I do the social Especially media. Especially in New York City. Oh my goodness, <laughs> yes. You have no idea. Oof. But uh, I do the social media, I do like the newsletters, I do, I sit in the front, so I do the basic administrative stuff, I'm the friendly face. I do research for auctions, I uh, look up works that we might wanna buy, I look up our artists, like all the press, get that all together, put in a packet, get that all done. I also get to do kind of the fun stuff, like okay, let's do like a gallery pool. So I'll pick a work that's coming up for auction. We have to guess how much it'll go for, and then we could win a book. <laughs> and then, um, you know, I also do the uh, archive, which I'm really... Wait, hold on. I think I hear sirens. There is a siren. This is live that, in that, the city. That, it is live from Illinois. A siren. Police. <laughs> actually, it's actually a fire. Oh, my God. Are you... There, there's literally no fire in my neighborhood right now. Oh. And they're just going down a side street just to be... Dicks. Oh, I hate I hate when that happens. I've seen like a sheriff do that. They'll go really like fast and like put on their sirens, and then there's nothing. Yeah. I'm like, really? Yeah. And then, then they like turn them off after they get in front of everyone. I'm like, cool. That isn't obvious at all. I'm like actually kind of watching this happen right now. Oh dear. And it's like turning onto the main road. Okay, guys, live news report. Oh dear. No one is moving for the for the fire engine. The fire engine is stuck. Oh it's God! It's chilling. It's uh, chilling on the corner. That is a no bueno situation. But yet, it's you do hear it honking. Yes, I did hear that. It's still like no one's moving. It's like oh my God! Does this happen? Does this happen in New York a lot? I yeah. Think it does. <laughs> I mean, like the hard thing is like people always like everyone here is super aggressive and there's people on the road. So yeah, I can yeah. get pretty. People can get pretty stuck. So. My- my favorite thing is when New Yorkers come to Chicago and then they like try to cross the road and think that they can just like walk in front of cars because you can do that in New York. No, you can because it can move but... so slow. It can move so yeah. slow that you're like, well, I can just walk because you can't like, yeah. In Illinois, they'll just like fucking hit you. They don't give a fuck. Oh, yeah. Fuck. That's what it's like in Atlanta, too. And I was hit yeah. by a car one time in San Francisco. Yeah, they don't really care. Oh, no. Well, no, no, it was fine. It was like it's slow moving. But I remember everyone jumped yeah. up and like, I saw it if you want to sue. And I'm like, I'm okay. Thanks, so. I got to go back <laughs> to class because I was like in college. But yeah, wait. Well, oh, yeah. So I do that. I do archival work, which I've been really enjoying. And then I also do the publications, like the books. And I we have the books that we've done with different artists. And I make sure the inventory is all good. And then the, I recently was able to curate a show that was on during the summer and with one of our editions with the art at art collective uh general idea which is an art collective from canada two of the members have passed away from its related causes but it's about it's a queer art collective and the edition that was on view was about preamble like to like the eight like during the AIDS epidemic and during pride pride week here in new york so i was really that was really happy to be able to do that so i do a little bit of all those things and i was able to do that with my degree 
and uh, I got a Master's of Arts in American Fine and Decorative Art at Sotheby's Institute of Art in New York. It was a year and a half program in tons of debt, but it's worth it because I it did it does matter in the art world. It's really about like I could not have gotten a job in New York with just a Bachelor of Arts unless I like had yeah. really rich parents or something like that, and some other kind of connection. So I, besides though me working full time. I also yeah. write articles and reviews and uh, interview artists that I find interesting and for different kinds of publications. And then I also That's make awesome. my own art. And so I recently had a show up that was in France. Uh, and then I have two shows coming up, one in Brooklyn, November 16th, Idol Worship at Smackmelon. And then uh, October 19th at White Box in Harlem. It's a group exhibition curated by uh, a woman named Kimberly. And um, if you follow, you'll have all my Instagram stuff in there and you'll be able to find all the information. So I kind of, if, if you're in New York, everybody has more than one job. <laughs> yes. Um, you're, okay, so your art, like, I, I know it to be, okay, so you basically incorporate people's naked photos of themselves in which they feel good about themselves and you are able to actually bring them to life so I'd love to hear more about your process doing that oh yeah made you want to start doing that of course well it started originally because uh at one point I couldn't really have sex for three years because of medical issues but I forgot the word for it but basically just hurt when I had sex and if anyone knows if anyone knows a woman in their life doctors and everyone will tell you the female body is still very under research and we're still trying to understand like it's a lot harder to understand like some of the issues that happen with the female body and totally. um, I have endometriosis yes so. that's what I'm looking for yes endometriosis <laughs> so like I was dealing with that and I was with my ex-girlfriend and I was feeling unsexual then I just I was able to have sex again and I was rediscovering myself and I met my boyfriend who's my male partner my only male partner and um I just fell completely in love with him as the person he is and um I, I started like, you know, feeling comfortable and confident in myself. And I've also struggled with eating disorder for a very long time. So starting to feel my body and love my body for what it looks like and having my partner enjoy my body the way it is and sending him nudes, you know, cause I feel cute. And you know, when you send a nude, sometimes if it's a person, you know, you don't, it's not necessarily cute at every angle or maybe like someone else might not think it's that cute, but like your partner gets it cause like they're making that cute face or like, oh, they love that or whatever. And I love that idea. And one day I was bored and I was like, oh, I want to go home with a border. So I embroidered the nude I sent him that I liked. And uh, I knew it myself and I posted it. And then while I lived in Brooklyn, uh, I went into this gallery and I became friends with the owner. It was called Head to Heavy Gallery, but now it's called 386. I'm not sure if it's still open anymore. This is in 2017. And the gallery owner said, hey, are your anniversaries coming up for the gallery? I would like you to exhibit. Do you want to submit some pieces? I'm like, sure. I'm thinking about this series. Can I do that? He's like, yeah. And it was my Sid Nude series. And um, I reached out to a few friends. I did an open call on my Instagram, my personal, asking for people if they wanted to participate in this idea of sending a nude. And through this uh, this process, I've made up new rules and like what it is about and how people submit. Because the biggest part of this process is about consent. Yeah. So like no one can just send me a photo when I do an open call. Like you can't just send a photo to me. You have to ask or I ask you like, hi, I'd like you to participate. And like I've only reached out to men I know and um, everybody I've embroidered for this series. I know them personally. Like some of them I know better than others, but I know everybody. I've met them all in person. Yeah. Uh, 
and um because i feel like that's very important with this totally. particular series because the whole idea is that um you have to understand times, them like you have to understand how they want to be seen you have to understand their energy exactly i want to feel their energy i want to know them i kind of want to get their vibe and um the bigger thing is like so if someone wants to participate or i ask them to participate they'll ask and i'll they'll say yes or no and then i send them the instructions about which is no one can take the photo for you and that's you can use a self timer which is fine on your phone but no one can take it for you because the whole point is that there's no male or female gaze yeah. so like and i also believe that you act I love differently that. yeah thank you and i also believe that people act differently no matter what when someone else is taking their photo they like do. you just it, i you're, it's just like it's just different even on a very subconscious level and that way i know the photo being taken that you send is something that you completely are 100% okay with like you are okay with this image because i'm going to be embroidering it and it's not going to be exactly photo realistic yeah and so i need the i need the person to really trust me and i want to know that the image that i'm using is like that's the image i want you to use so people can send more than one but it, it just depends and then how many in the night cuz i might go back to some people i just haven't had time yet I, it takes me a while to make a piece and the reason why it takes so long to make these pieces is because it's I know them and I really care about them and I'm really thinking about them and wanting them to feel beautiful and I want to feel beautiful too because it's a very beautiful process and um <clears throat> once they are they send me their photo I give them a number like once it's whatever they're submitted I'm one then it's like 2 3 4 5 6 I'm on uh the 26th person submitted their image but I'm working on number wow. 20 right now uh the work and it's and once I'm on that person's piece I send them updates because a lot of these people aren't in the art world like I am and it's not for feedback it's mostly so they can feel included and I cuz I want them to feel beautiful and see what's happening it's also fun to see how bad I mess up their leg and then I fix it <laughs> and things like that it's fun and the other part is the big part is that you can't this isn't commission because I don't want I don't want to feel restrained about making a piece smaller than I want or bigger than I want because you want to buy it but if they want to buy it of course I give them a lower price cuz it's directly through me but the whole thing is no one feels pressure to because it's all about the experience and feeling beautiful and feeling seen yeah and, and feeling safe because it's that trust and safety and the idea that something so impermanent like a phone image it's not like a polaroid you know a physical air yeah. something that you can be deleted and then gone forever I'm taking the time literally hours one of my biggest pieces to like 80 hours wow just focusing on you and really like really appreciating you for what you are and it's a really wonderful experience and it's i've really enjoyed doing that series that's awesome i i love seeing when you post updates on things that you have done i love i love just seeing your work in general like you are such a a great embroiderer <laughs> thank you I your hands them. must hurt oh my goodness yes i prick my fingers all the time i have sewn into my clothes many a time and <laughs> bedding i've had put holes in bedding sheets i've had to cut my jeans i you know just don't you know battle uh, wounds don't, don't be careful when you're drinking wine and embroidering you know just, <laughs> yeah you got to be careful attention. be careful of picking <laughs> mm-hmm. and and also you know Then sometimes I have to embroider on an area again cuz I'm like oh shoot there's my blood from my finger. Uh all right, I'm just going to embroider on top of that. Hopefully that covers that up. <laughs> I used to paint a lot with my own blood. Oh and wow. I, yeah, and I I mean I love working with blood specifically. I think it it just it 
looks a certain way. There's like a texture to it. It is. And and I just, I loved doing that. I would also work with fire a lot. Mm. Like I would, I would like to set it on fire. Like I, this sounds so pretentious, but like for me, it's more about the experience of making art than what the final product looks like. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. And, and so I always felt that I would be better as a performance artist or, you know, something like that because I felt like my process is just so based on whatever I'm feeling in that moment. And like mm. sometimes, sometimes I just like kind of like will make something really extravagant and then I'll just want to set it on fire. <laughs> and hey, that's fine see too. What that sounds- exactly. <laughs> That's a that's a process and that's a thing that that's that's important too. Everyone's art and the way they express themselves is different. But it's interesting that you say blood because my one of my good friends, Jordan Eagles, his work is is well known because he works with animal and human blood, and he oh, wow. has made some amazing pieces. You can find him on Huffington Post, find his Instagram. Again, it's Jordan Eagles, E A G L E S. Like he recently was in a Huffington Post article because he was making this work. Specific- some of there was a series of works he was making specifically about the gay blood blood ban, oh, wow. which is that gay men can't donate blood because of the AIDS yeah. epidemic. So then they yeah. apparently changed the law, and the law changed in 2015. People were like, "Oh no, I thought there was a law change." Well, the law change is if you're a gay or bisexual man, you can donate blood if you have not had sex in the last year. Ew. How do you prove? But how do you prove that? And I asked him. I was like, because I, I, I interviewed him for one of the places I write for, El Champ. E-L-C-H-A-M-P a gay physical health magazine but also about works with art and yeah. um, he was like I'm like have you ever heard of anybody who was denied donating blood now with the, this new ordinance been able to donate now and he's like no and it's like still ridiculous but he makes this beautiful it's work so with stupid. human blood and I think Whoa. you would actually you should really look it up I'll send it I'll DM you after this just yeah, his, like his Instagram because it's it works absolutely amazing, and he also enjoys seeing the texture, like aesthetically how it looks. It's yeah, I like the idea of using any sort of human element to it in any way. Like, um, I sent you that photo of Daniel Goldstein's piece I got to see in his home that he did. Um, he okay so for our listeners who don't know my friend daniel goldstein is an artist uh he is also hiv positive and has been since the 1980s he was in a aids documentary um and he did this piece where he took the fabric from the bench of his gym in the 1980s during the aids epidemic and it was soaked with sweat as a gym bench but, would be of course but yeah and it just but it was all of his friends who had passed from AIDS sat on that bench. And it, and it was just like a very powerful piece. And it's sitting in his living room. It's really amazing. It's a testament to life. It's a testament to what Daniel had to overcome and the loss that he had in his life. And just seeing how sweat has looked on this piece, on this piece of cloth, for the last 35 years is just so beautiful to me and it just makes them alive again in some way to me i i know what you mean yeah i see that that makes it's sense like, i like the human 
element in art like that mm-hmm. is what it's about for me I think that's also why I always connected with Yoko Ono so much because mm-hmm. I feel like she always put that human element into her art because she would make these things that you had to actually physically do <laughs> in her and, and it was almost like poetry so like I, I'm very attracted to art that has that human element to it I love your art for that reason I am so inspired by you Rhea <laughs> the self-care tip of the week. So this is Rachel Kalem of Enfold Yoga and I am here with a simple self-care technique. So we'll do a simple breathing exercise. Rest one hand on the lower abdomen and the other hand on the chest over the heart and we'll take a breath in through the nose Let it roll down the spine, open the lungs, drop the diaphragm, the low belly and low back expand, and then you might unclench your butt a little bit. (laughs) And then the breath will roll up from the low belly, which will lightly hug in, move back up the spine, the circle of the rib cage lightly hugs in, and then the collarbones hug in just a bit, and you'll breathe out through your mouth a gentle ha sound like you're fogging a mirror and you'll do that for about a minute other places to check as you're breathing unclench your jaw soften your tongue in your mouth relax your eyebrows release the tops of the thighs and try to let the arches of your feet melt a little bit closer to the floor and doing that with eyes open or If your eyes are open, find a soft gaze, maybe about two feet in front of you on the floor. If your eyes are closed, that's great too. But anywhere, anytime, your breath is always with you. Enjoy. Rhea, tell me about all of the things you want to plug right now. Well, my show's coming up in Smackmelon in Brooklyn. That's November 16th, the opening. Uh, opening night is a Saturday. Uh, it's called Idol Worship. It's curated by Emily. And I'm not going to try to pronounce last names because <laughs> it's not that it's that hard. I just literally can't. I can barely speak English because I just don't. I read. I never say words out loud. <laughs> As an only child, I just. I, I, that's my excuse. But if you go to my Instagram or if you go to Smackmelon, you'll see it's Emily C-U-L-O-C-C-I. And she's an amazing curator. And I'm going to be in this amazing show called Idol Worship with a work about Jessica Hahn. Then I have a show coming up October 19th. It'll be open at White Box in Harlem. And that is curated by Kimberly. She's a fellow Sotheby student. She's currently in the program. She's about to graduate. Her last name is R-E-I-N-A-G-E-L. She's an amazing curator. She also makes art and embroidery. She's curating this amazing show about other uh, female artists that do uh, embroidery work and textile work. And then uh, check out my latest article. That'll be coming out soon. I've, well, t- I just sent my first draft into my editor. So I've got to do some more editing. But it'll be coming out next week. And it's an interesting review about a show that's currently on view at Andrew Edelin Gallery. 
uh, Edlin Gallery, curated by Bill Arning. And it's about this woman who died in 1999. She made all this crazy art. And because uh, she believed an ancient alien named Black Mo was talking to her. Amazing. From, from uh, I'm sorry, an alien from the future. And he, she started a whole philosophy. So all of her work, her entire life, was her trying to encompass this three... It's I don't even know. It, it's very, very detailed. It's very, very... Uh, it's like pre-feminist. It's really interesting. So her work is just completely, literally out there. So check that. And uh, if you ever are someone who likes Stargate or any weird sci-fi, feel free to DM me. I'm always looking for more sci-fi nerds in my life. <laughs> and where can they follow you on Instagram? Oh, dear. Okay. So you can follow me on my, if you want to see what articles I'm posting and vegan food that I eat around the city, as well as amazing artists that I work with in Archivally. Check out my Instagram at Alexandria, A-L-E-X-A-N-D-R-I-A dot Dieters, D-E-T-E-R-S dot art. And if you want to just strictly follow my art and see all the nude embroidery I do and erotic things that interest me and all my in-process kind of shots, check out my newer Instagram that I created called Dieters Thread. And it is D-E-T-E-R-S dot threads, T-H-R-E-A-D-Z. And you'll be able to find everything about that as well to see all the amazing artists I work with and know around the city. Rhea, thank and you so much. And what can I tell you? No, first I want to say thank you. I don't know if anyone else realizes this. This is an amazing woman. I became friends with her years ago through randomly a zine that my friend created. And we've been in contact for years. And she is such a warm light to social media as well as to the world. And I'm so honored to have my first podcast be with you and it's like it's it's literally been such a pleasure and you guys don't even know how difficult it's been because i i am not tech savvy and she's been so patient so she's the best and she really is spot on with all of her readings as well because she's you did my chart and it was like crazy accurate (laughs) thank you i appreciate that ria i love you i hope to have you you on when you have more stuff to promote hit us up because of course and hit me up if anyone if you're ever in new york and you're in new york you'll be able to see adventures with me with her or you'll be able to see just a random adventures anyone who's friends with you i already know are probably kind probably chill (laughs) and just follow ria ria has introduced me to so many wonderful artists through their page i appreciate everything they post they are just so fucking cool Rhea, I love you. Thanks so much. I love you too. Thank you. Have a wonderful night and day, y'all. Bye. Bye. <laughs> it's kind of amazing how much your life can change in just a few seconds with a good conversation. I feel like I woke up this morning and I was fucking really depressed and I don't know when I get depressed like I said I I tend to think of my friend who understood me because I miss her (laughs) and I want to ask her her opinions and I want to ask her advice and I want to vent to someone that gets it but a strange thing happened where I woke up this morning feeling that way I'd been feeling that way for the last few days and out of nowhere uh, Melissa's ex-husband called me this afternoon right after I got off the phone with Rhea just randomly out of the blue he said that he had been thinking of her all week as well we don't really talk all the time so 
it was it was a nice surprise and we just had a nice talk about the state of the world and what Melissa might think about it and just where we're both at in life and he just moved into a new house in, close to Pasadena and he's living his life making music as he should. I miss her a lot. I'm not gonna lie. Grief is hard guys and it doesn't go away and they say that there's all these stages to grief but honestly I can feel like 10 of them in one day. But I think the lesson here, Melissa was an artist. She made things to deal with her inability to fit into the world, right? That's what she did. And that's what I do. And that's what connected her to me and me to her and this project. And the 9,000 fucking people that follow me online and engage with me regularly about this project and god if there is any truth to there being life after death it's that and that's fucking powerful Melissa was a healer everything that I do everybody that I try to heal comfort give nurture it comes from her spirit it comes from my spirit too but it's rooted in in her love and with that being said i want to say thank you to all of my listeners i hope that you enjoyed today's episode i'm gonna dip out with the the self-care tip of the week this one's a good one i love you guys so much until next week bye hi okay so I think as far as self-care tips go, my best one I have to offer is to create playlists. So music, um, for me, is something that's really deeply tied to my emotions and to my mental state and things like that. Um, and really, no matter how I'm feeling, music will always um, either help me work through something or bring me up out of it or... Just sometimes, just I just need the plain distraction. So uh, I like to create really weird playlists that don't make sense as far as like keeping genres together or keeping styles together. I like making them really eclectic, mostly because um, it'll keep me focused on the music, and then I can get out of whatever I'm in. Burn black.